0: Well, let's turn uh, in our Bibles to First Peter, chapter four. First Peter, chapter four. Let's begin reading with verse twelve. First Peter four, twelve. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. This is God's Word. We're picking up simply where we left off in our study of 1 Peter. In chapter 4, we saw last time that this paragraph ended with praise to God. Praise to God and reference was made to His glory and to His dominion. Verse 11, Peter said, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be long glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We think about dominion, belonging to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ, his sovereignty, his control over all things. We tend to doubt that when we experience trials and suffering. And you think about the Christians to whom Peter was writing. They were right in the middle of it, right in the thick of persecution. The people that they once had known and loved and did business with and and had meals with, people in their own family, perhaps even in their own homes, have now shunned them, pushed them away because they're following this Jesus. They're being persecuted, they're experiencing suffering and trials of various kinds, and it may have been difficult for them to grasp the truth that truly God has dominion that he is sovereign that he really is in control do you ever feel that way do you ever have a hard time grasping that god could possibly have his hand in the things that's going on in your life how could he possibly say that he has dominion sovereignty control over this entire universe over every speck of dust in his creation yet you're experiencing the things that you're experiencing and suffering the way that you're suffering. Peter comes back to this issue of trial and suffering in this passage. It seems like he hits it in every chapter. But he comes back again here in chapter 4, and that's what we'll be considering today. But before we do, notice that he calls them beloved, dear ones, loved ones. And here's just a free piece of advice. If you're going to talk to someone who is suffering, you must talk to them as someone you love. It's easy sometimes for people to say, well, I'm going to give them some encouragement. I know they had a relative to pass away or they got this diagnosis or they lost their job. So I'm, I'm going to help them out. I'm going to go to Romans 8, 28. I'm real good. And you, you've all had that experience where you're really going through something and somebody walks up to you and just with a smile on their face says, God's going to work it out for his good. And you just want to slap them. Because you know that. You believe that. But that's not what you need to hear in that moment, right? Sometimes we just need to shut up and just weep with someone. And put your arm around them and love them. And so Peter addresses this church and he addresses them and gives instructions, not in a cold, callous kind of way of, listen guys, you should know the word of God, you should trust God more than that. But he comes to them and he says, beloved, loved ones dear ones. And that's how I want to speak to you. That's how God speaks to you. You're loved. You are his beloved. So what lessons can we learn about suffering as a Christian from Peter in this passage? And I'll just be upfront with you. I have seven points in my notes. If we get three or four in and we say we'll pick it up next week, we will. If we hit all seven, Good on you. Uh, We'll just see how it goes. What lessons can we learn about suffering as a Christian here? Number one, suffering as a Christian should not surprise us. Suffering as a Christian should not surprise us. Again, there in verse 12, he said, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though something strange happened to you. He tells us not to think it strange when we go through trials because what 's our reaction every time we think it's strange he says don 't let this surprise you because he knows that every single time we enter a trial we 're going to be surprised aren 't we We never expect the diagnosis we never expect the death even if or we 're never ready for it even if we see it coming we never expect the The job that's gone. We never expect to be criticized or persecuted in any way. But that's exactly what we should come to expect. It's what we should anticipate. We're accustomed to comfort. That's just what we're used to. Everything in life we do to make our lives better. We want ourselves to be more comfortable. We do everything we can to get away from discomfort and suffering. But Paul told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation, and it's the same word that Peter uses for test or trial, no temptation, no test, no trial has overtaken you except such as is common to man. You're not experiencing anything that a million other people in the world have, haven't experienced, or that Christians before you haven't experienced. And he does give us this encouragement that God is faithful, God is faithful. He'll not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able, but He'll make that way of escape that we may bear it. He told the Thessalonians this, 1 Thessalonians 3, He said He sent Timothy to them to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed for this. You've been appointed to suffering. Your encouragement for the day. Put that on a note card and stick it on your mirror. You've been appointed to suffering. For in fact, Paul says, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it has happened, and you know. He says you know. You've experienced it. Everyone in this room to some degree has experienced suffering. You know it's the norm. You know that we should expect it, yet it still surprises us every time. The second lesson about suffering is this, is that suffering as a Christian tests our faith. It tests our faith. Again, there in verse 12, he says, Don't think it's strange concerning this fiery trial. And it's funny how he says that. He says, this fiery trial, which is to try you. Well, duh. What else would a trial be for? You've experienced this fiery trial, but it is not without purpose. It's not without an aim. The fiery trial is to try you. It is to test you. You can't prove that faith is real unless it's put to the test. You know, I quoted that verse from the hymn that we sang. Have faith in God when your prayers are unanswered. You you know, it's whenever things don't go well that you really see what your faith is made of. Because how many people have we known that have said, "Well, I believe in God, I'm a Christian, I have faith in Him, but then as soon as trials come along, they'd abandon him, they say, "If this is what Jesus is all about, I want no part in it." And they fall away. They prove that their faith never was genuine. So you can be encouraged, beloved, in your suffering because suffering and trials as a Christian tests your faith and proves that it's genuine. James, or not James, uh, Hebrews, tells us this about Abraham. He says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said in Isaac, your, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. I mean, Abraham had this promise from God that it was through Isaac. Now listen, Abraham had already tried another route with another kid, but God said it was going to be through Isaac that his seed would be blessed. And now God says, put Isaac on the altar What's Abraham to do? He believed God. How do you believe that God was telling the truth about blessing your son and then God telling you to kill your son? Here's what the Scriptures say. He says that he concluded that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham was so convinced that God had told him the truth, that he was going to bless his seed through Isaac, that he was willing to lay Isaac down on the altar, even if it meant that God would have to raise Isaac from the dead after he had finished. That's faith being tested and proven true. You think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We talk about a fiery trial. That should be the first thing that comes to our mind. They were brought before the king because they wouldn't bow to his image. And the king said, okay, you've got one more chance. Do it or burn. Listen to what they said. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. They really believed that. But here their faith even goes further than that. He says, he'll deliver us from your hand, O king, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Their faith was firm. They knew that God was fully able to deliver them from the fiery trial. He could bring them out of the fire. He could keep them from going into the fire. But they said, listen, Nebuchadnezzar, even if he doesn't, we will not bow to your image. We'll be faithful to God. That's faith. And that faith was put to the test because they didn't just say, oh yeah, throw us in the fire if you want to. They actually got thrown into the fire. That takes faith to another level. And God surely delivered them. But their faith was only proven in the trial. They already had the faith. But the faith was tested through the trial. And this is the normal life for anyone who follows the Lord. This is normal Christian living. That we go through trials, that we go through testing, that we go through suffering. And our faith is proven. It is refined as gold in the fire. Peter's already said this back in chapter one. He said, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Be encouraged in your suffering. Be encouraged in your testing because God is simply refining your faith. He's proving what it really is made of and that it is true. Third lesson about suffering. Suffering as a Christian should lead us to joy. It should lead us to joy. He said in verse 13, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's suffering, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Instead of being shocked, surprised, devastated, when we enter into testing, or when we suffer, Peter says the alternative is to rejoice. That, that Greek verb is a, it's a present active imperative, and that just means that you just keep on rejoicing, continuously rejoicing. It's not, okay, praise God, now I'm going back to my uh, sadness. No, it's continuous, ongoing rejoicing. James said it like this, he said, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. We've seen it in the book of Acts, in chapter 5, when the apostles were taken into the Sanhedrin, uh, when they had been preaching about Jesus, and they were flogged for preaching. They were going to kill him, but somebody spoke up and said, No, nah, maybe that's not a good idea. If it's, if it's not of God, God will take care of them. Let's just beat them. So they were flogged. They were sent on their way. And Acts 5 says that they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. We don't rejoice because we suffer. That You've probably got something wrong up here if you just get happy about suffering. Okay? We don't get excited when we get bad news. You don't rejoice because of the suffering. But we should rejoice, Peter says, to the extent that we partake of Christ's sufferings. How did Jesus suffer? Jesus suffered without becoming bitter, without becoming angry, without becoming resentful. He suffered in a way that brought honor to God the Father. We can rejoice when we suffer when we suffer the way that Jesus suffered. When we, we, we can rejoice when God is at work in us to use suffering to make us more like Jesus. Because that's what, he's a, that's what he's doing. Philippians 1, Paul said this, that to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him. Praise God that's been granted to us, that we can believe on him. He says it's been granted to you not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, Peter's audience is going through persecution. Are any of you being persecuted right now? Probably not many, and the ones who are, it's probably not severe yet. But we don't have to just apply this when somebody is threatening us with a gun to our head for naming the name of Jesus. Because there are plenty of people who enter into trials, who enter into testing, who enter into suffering, and they blaspheme God. They curse His name. People who work in the medical field can tell you they've seen people on their deathbed. And you know, people say, well, before I die, I'll get right with God. But it's almost like in those last moments, for most people, God solidifies the decisions they've already made. Ethan Hooker, you, you all know him, has told, me, has told me about men who have laid in the emergency room, dying, taking their last breaths and cursing God. And he's thinking, you're about to meet him. But we can suffer not like that, not in a way that dishonors God, not in a way that blasphemes God, and not in a way that says, God, how could you let me go through this? But we can go through with joy because it has been granted to us. It is a gift from God to suffer for His sake. Do you look at your suffering like that? And if you're not going through anything right now, you, just, you need to go ahead and tuck this away because you will need it. Do you look at suffering that way? As a gift from God? In chapter 3 of Philippians He said this, he said, "...but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ." All those things that he had done before he knew Christ. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, the tribe of Benjamin, all that good stuff that people looked up to him for. He says, "...all these things I've counted for loss for Christ, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things." And count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. And down in verse 10, he says all this. He says, that I may know Him. Paul looked at all the things that he had lost when he became a Christian. All the things he had cast aside. All the suffering he endured. And he said, I count all these things as loss and rubbish. I go through these sufferings that I may know Him. And friends, there is joy in knowing God. And if it has been chosen by God that you should go through suffering to help you know Him, then we can take joy in suffering. Not for suffering's sake, but that we know God. He says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And everybody likes that part. Everybody wants resurrection power. Let's know God in that regard. But he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. God uses suffering even to the point of death that we may know him and we can take joy in that. We rejoice in suffering because through it we can know Christ better and be made more like Him. We also rejoice in suffering because of the glory that's to come. The second half of verse 13 there, he says, When His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. You don't have to just experience the joy now and that's the end of it, but there's eternal joy. There's joy that shall be revealed when He comes. 2 Corinthians 4, therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction. You think about all that Paul went through, and he says, for our light affliction. It's just for a moment, but it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. There is rejoicing in sufferings because now Christ is drawing us close to Him. He's helping us know Him. He's making us like Him. But there's joy in suffering because of the glory that shall be revealed in us when He comes. Fourth lesson in suffering. Suffering as a Christian is a blessing. It's a blessing. Verse 14 Peter says, if you are reproached, that is, if you are insulted or reviled for the name of Christ, blessed are you. Well, David read that just this morning, didn't he? Didn't Jesus teach that same thing in Matthew 5? He said, blessed are you when they revile you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Have you ever had anyone speak ill of you because you are a christian or because you did what is right out of your christianity Jesus says you're blessed he says rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you so if you're insulted or if you suffer for Jesus sake you're blessed you have heaven to look forward to and he says you're in good company they persecuted the prophets before you. Now you could go all through church history and see those who have been persecuted and even put to death for the sake of Jesus and His name. In the Old Testament, we see the prophets. In the New Testament, especially there in the book of Acts, we see Stephen and James and others who were put to death because of the gospel. We know that later on that Paul and all of the disciples died. You think about the kind of people who have been insulted and persecuted for Jesus. What do you think of those people? They're people we admire, they're people we think highly of. Those people were God's people. They were faithful. Praise God for their example. That's what we think of them. They are those who, the writer of Hebrews says, of whom the world was not worthy. But Peter says that if you're reproached for the name of Jesus, you're blessed. Jesus says, if you're reproached for his name, you're blessed. You're in good company. You might get ranked up there with some of the prophets or the apostles. Should you suffer for his name? It also says if you're reproached for the name of Jesus, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you suffer for Jesus, if you're attacked and opposed because of your stand for the Lord, that should encourage you. It means you're doing something right. I talk to a, um, a mentor, if you will, I've got three or four older pastors that I talk to and, and seek guidance and usually dump all my problems on them, you know, and they're good to listen. And, uh, I went to one recently and I'd been struggling in some spiritual battles. You know, the, the Bible says our, our, the war that we fight isn't against flesh and blood. I mean, you know, I haven't had any problems with any of you lately, uh, so everything's been fine in, in that regard. Uh, you know, but that doesn't mean that the battles stop, right? We're still fighting a spiritual war. And I talked to one of these men about it, about the struggle and how it was ongoing, and, and it was really wearing me down. And he just smiled at me and he said, I'm encouraged. I said, why? He said, because the devil sees you as someone worth fighting. So let me just say that to you. If you're trying to spend time with God, if you're trying to worship him at home, on your own throughout the week and whatever you do, If you're trying to spend time in His Word and in prayer, if you're trying to serve Him, and it seems like no matter what you do, you face an obstacle, you're attacked, you're opposed, and you just say, there's no possible explanation for this other than that there's something spiritual working against me. I say be encouraged. Apparently, the devil sees you as someone worth fighting. Keep fighting. Because Peter says rejoice when you're, when you're reproached for Christ's sake because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It just might be that the reason you're facing such opposition is because God's spirit is on you. And God is trying to use you for His glory. Amen. On the other hand, if we're not facing opposition in our christian walk if everything's easy for you if if what you do for the lord as an individual and what we're doing as a church isn't opposed by anyone anytime is the spirit of god really on us are we really doing anything worthwhile That doesn't make us want to run out and find some excuse to be persecuted. No, it makes us want to seek God and beg Him for His Spirit. That the Spirit of God would be with us and in the work that we do. I don't want to do anything in any ministry without the presence and the power of the Spirit of God. That's worth suffering reproach for. Let's keep going. Number five, suffering as a Christian is not shameful. It's not shameful. Verse 15, he says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. I just have a hard time with this. He's writing to Christians. He says, don't go out there and suffer as a murderer. Were there seriously people in this church he thought might commit a murder? Maybe that was their past before they became Christians. He says, don't go back to that. Don't suffer as a murderer or a thief, an evildoer. And if you don't think any of those apply to you, he says, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Don't don't suffer for the sake of sin. You don't get points if you get punched in the face for sticking your nose in somebody else's business. It's not persecution if it wasn't for honoring the Lord. But he says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in this matter. It's ironic that Peter is the one doing the writing here. Because when he followed Jesus, and somebody said, hey, don't I know you? Weren't you with Jesus? This guy was about to be crucified... Weren't you with him? Peter said, I'm not ashamed. Yeah, I was with him. Not even close. He said, I never knew the man. Are you sure? Never met the guy. Are you really sure? You sound a lot like a Galilean. Blankety blank, blank, blank. I don't know him. But now here we see where the Lord has brought Peter. Peter. Peter, who after he writes these letters, not too long after that at all, was taken out and crucified. And asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die the same way as his Lord. That's where God brought him. Suffering as a Christian is not shameful. Number six, suffering as a Christian on earth is better than suffering as a sinner in hell. This is weighty. He says in verse 17, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And he quotes the scriptures. He says, now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? You see, God's discipline right now is primarily focused on his own people. Hebrews 12 says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, the discipline of the Lord. Don't be discouraged when you're rebuked by him because whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he disciplines and scourges every son whom he receives. God's work of discipline is In the hearts and lives of his own people. You know, a child says this, and listen, I've got a five year old and I've already experienced this. He says, Well, my friend's parents let him do blank. And what do you say? You've all heard that, right? What do you say? Well, I'm not their parent, I'm your parent, and you have to do what I say. So God's concern is with the maturing of His own people. I can't tell another parent what to do with their own kids. I can, but that might go back to being a busybody and getting punched in the nose. My concern is with my children. God's concern is with His children. Listen, don't be surprised when unbelievers act like unbelievers. When sinners sin, don't be shocked. But if you sin and God disciplines you, Rejoice, you're His child. God is intent on making His people holy, even if it comes through suffering and trials and testing in life. Everything that you face, God is using it to make you more like Jesus. Be encouraged in that. But hear me well. If God does not spare His own children from suffering in this life... How do you think he will treat those who are not his children, who live in sin and rebellion against him? Do you think that God will overlook your sin? You think it's just no big deal to him? If you are living in unrepentant sin, you have absolutely no reason to be assured that you are God's child. And if you're not God's child, then Scripture tells us that you are His enemy. And why would you ever think that God would allow His enemy's rebellion to go unpunished? If you're living in sin, if you do not belong to God, you are right now in danger. You are taking chances that you don't know you have. This sounds harsh. This might be hard to swallow. But you could very well be in hell before the end of the week. Before the end of the day. You don't know what time you have. Why roll the dice? Why take the chance? God will not sweep sin under the rug, and if you see what his children go through in this life as he's perfecting them and making them holy, what do you think he will do to those who are unrighteous, who rebel against him and live in sin? I would rather suffer as a Christian and be made holy. And then finally, number seven, suffering as a Christian should lead us to greater commitment to God. Verse 19, he says, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. You know, sometimes it is the will of God for Christians to suffer. It's always for our good. It's always to make us more like Jesus. It's for the good of those around us who see how much we treasure Jesus despite our suffering. And it's always to bring glory to him. Therefore, Peter says, if you're suffering as a Christian, commit yourself to God with even more dedication than ever. Let us do good. Why? Because he says he is a faithful creator. It would be one thing if he just said he was a creator. He made you. He owns you. He has rights to you. You must obey him. But God didn't just create the world and set it in motion and then step back. No, He is a faithful Creator who is with His people, carrying them through suffering and trials and testing, making them more like Jesus until the day that we see Him face to face and are made like Him. He's faithful also towards unbelievers. Yes, there is punishment, there is judgment, there is hell As punishment for sin, but what does the scripture say? That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I don't know where you are. I can't see your hearts. I can't do anything inside of you other than just tell you what the Bible says. But our prayer now needs to be, Lord, show us where we stand with you. Show us the true nature of our hearts. And if you're an unbeliever, if you are headed for destruction, your prayer needs to be a cry for mercy. He is faithful to give it. He will forgive because of Jesus who died for you. If you're right in the middle of suffering right now, if you're going through a trial, if you're being tested... And you're a Christian, ask God to help you to think about it rightly, to rejoice, to be glad, and to be made into the image of Jesus. And maybe you're a Christian and you're not going through trial. You're not going through suffering. Let me just tell you, you will. Ask God to plant this deep in you now so that when the time comes, you will lean on him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would work in our hearts even now. That the lost would be saved, the church would be revived, and that you would be honored. In Jesus' name, amen.